Luke chapter 3. I'm going to begin at verse 1. John the Baptist prepares the way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judah, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituea and Traconius, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilion, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough waves smooth, and all peoples will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee? the coming rough. Produce fruit which is in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What shall we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share one with someone who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his balm. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John had rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to them. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. and I'm going to hand over to John. 
Father God, we thank you for your words once again today. We thank you for the living nature of your words. We thank you that as we read your word, no matter how many times we might have read a passage, Lord, you can bring to us and highlight new truths and new things that you're saying to us. And Lord, as we read this familiar passage to many of us this morning, as John comes and he preaches on it, may we hear the voice of Jesus and the Holy Spirit speaking within. Come, Lord Jesus, we ask in your holy name. Amen. Amen. John, over to you. Well, folks, thanks for inviting me again to share God's word with you. And uh, I love this passage, uh, Luke 3, the beginning of the New Testament, this is. This is the transition period from all that was into all that is going to be. John heralded it. I, I always laugh, though, that uh, Herod thought that he could stop John by locking him up. Um, John was not his problem. Jesus was, but he was yet to come physically onto the scene with them. But uh, I want to uh, look at this passage with you. And uh, in particular, I want to draw your attention to uh, one particular verse in particular. Um, That's two particulars. I shouldn't do that. But anyway, um, where John, when they thought that maybe he was Christ, he was Messiah, he was the one that was to come. um, They asked him and his words were immediate. He says, I baptize you with water. But one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Not even worthy to be a servant of him. That's what he's saying there. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. I want to look at that. He will baptize you with, his, with Holy Spirit and with fire. You know, my friends, in all of my years of ministry, I found that the greatest hindrance so often to individual discipleship and church growth has not been caused by the demonic or or even opposition from the world, but by a crippling propensity amongst the people of God uh, to, to interpret Scripture in the light of their own experience or personal preferences. And that's where legalism and traditionalism come in. For folk to read the Scriptures and say, well, it means this. But we've got to ask, what did the scripture mean? Rather than prognosticate, pronounce judgment upon it. Uh, but you know, and when we look at the scriptures, you know, we, we believe them, do we not? We believe them to be breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and training and correction and all development in, in, in righteousness. Well, if, if we really do believe that, it means that we, we won't come to the scriptures and say, it means this. We'll come to the scriptures and say openly, Lord, what does it mean? Whether it's comfortable for me or uncomfortable for me, whether it's challenging or comforting or whatever, we will receive what your word says. And we most certainly won't interpret the word to fit in with our own personal preferences. And so we come to look at this remarkable prophecy that John the Baptist brings. And right at the outset, I want to ask you, 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 those of you who are here, those of you who are listening in, have you been baptized with Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized with Holy Spirit? And the reason I ask that is my contention and my intention this morning to show that you can be a Christian without being baptized in the Holy, in Holy Spirit. You can be a Christian without being baptized 
in Holy Spirit. It shouldn't be the case. It need not be the case. But it can be the case. Now, I'll come back to that later. And in this passage, and verse 16 in particular, it presents us with two questions. First of all, what did John mean when he spoke about the baptism with the Holy Spirit? And the second question that comes from that is, what does the baptism in or with Holy Spirit, when rather does it happen? How does it happen? And I'm going to take the, the last question first and then come back to the heart of it uh, toward the end. When, according to Scripture, does this baptism with Holy Spirit actually occur? Now, don't make assumptions. Let the Scriptures be the judge for you, the evidence for you. And if you look at the New Testament, there is a very clear and often repeated passage throughout the whole of the New Testament. People were converted and then afterwards were baptized with Holy Spirit. Sometimes very soon afterwards, sometimes almost at the same time, sometimes a long period afterwards, but it was afterwards. It was after conversion. And for instance, if you, you, you look at Scripture, in Acts 1 and verse 4 and 5, we're told that on one occasion, while uh, Jesus uh, was eating with them, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with Holy Spirit. Now that happened at Pentecost. And the Spirit was poured out on them, where it says in Acts 2 and 4, all of them were filled with Holy Spirit. And you might say to me, as many would, and as I once perhaps would have once maintained, that the, 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 the Pentecost was totally unique. Well, it was in many ways. Pentecost marks the end of the Old Covenant and the beginning of the New. But if in actual fact, if in actual fact, <clears throat> Baptism uh, with the Spirit is, is, is just a perfunctory thing. We'd have to ask ourselves, why does after Pentecost, why does Peter in Acts 2 and verse 38 as he preaches, repeat the same pattern as they themselves had experienced for those who came after him in faith? He said to them, repent and then receive Holy Spirit. In Acts 15, Acts 8 rather, on verse 15, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to see. And when they arrived, we're told, they prayed for the new believers. These were believers in Jesus. We pray for these new believers that they might receive Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of Jesus. Well, how did they know that? How could they make that assessment? Well, either they asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Or in some ways, they, what they saw didn't add up to what they knew baptism in Holy Spirit meant. And then we're told Peter and John placed hands on them then they received Holy Spirit after they'd been believed in Jesus and even been baptized. This Holy Spirit pattern is filled repeatedly with Paul 
and in Acts, uh, in, in, you know, uh, and in Acts nine, it 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 happens with him. He he believes. He comes to faith miraculously. He knows Messiah. But Ananias goes to him, because yet the spirit of God had not fallen on him. It was the same with Peter, with Cornelius and his family. When he's preaching to to Cornelius, they believe. They believe. And then he prays for them, and they are filled with Holy Spirit. These people believed in the gospel. After believing, the Holy Spirit came on them. And there you find that Peter quotes this, 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 this verse here in Luke. It quotes the fact that that happened just as it had happened to them, because this is what was prophesied should happen. Let me go on, just one or two others. In Acts 19 in Ephesus, Paul finds some believers who have been disciples of John, we're told. But he obviously sees that something is missing in them. And his question is telling. He said, did you receive Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, that's a stupid question. If believing and receiving the Holy Spirit is exactly the same. Did you receive Holy Spirit when you believed? And if you look at your modern translations, they often say that the disciples then replied, we've not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Now, that's utter, utter nonsense. That cannot be a translation of what's here. Why? Well, because the Old Testament saints of God, they knew about the Holy Spirit. Um, John the Baptist uh, he most certainly uh, knew about the Holy Spirit because what was his ministry? It sums up in our verse that we looked at this morning. That he that comes after me, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. So they couldn't have said, oh, we, we didn't know the Holy Spirit existed. And if you look in, in, the, um, in John's Gospel, and verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 39, you will find that the exact same words in the Greek New Testament that you read here uh, in, 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 in Acts 19 and all the others, the exact same wording is translated as, up to that date, the Spirit had not yet been given. That makes much better sense, doesn't it? We didn't know the Holy Spirit had been given yet. Not that we did not know of the Holy Spirit. It shows a sad bias on the part of the translators, I feel. And then they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then hands were laid on them. And then hand, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues, etc., etc. In Ephesians 1 and verse 11, Paul says to the Ephesian believers, having believed you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That is the pattern. It happens not before, not when, but after believing. The time gap is irrelevant. The order is not. Because it points to a dynamic that we are meant to be living in. And you might say to me, well, doesn't John, uh, doesn't, uh, you, you, might say, you might say to me, John, doesn't it say in 1 Corinthians 12, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Yes, it does say that. It does say that, but read the verses again. And let me ask you, who is the active agent in that baptism? 
Who is the active agent in that baptism? And the active agent in that baptism is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptized us into one body. The Holy Spirit baptizes into one body. In Luke 3.16, who is the active agent? It is not the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus. Jesus will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. And if you consider also the consequences of each verse that we've read. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, given one spirit to drink. In Luke 3 and 16 and the other references in the New Testament, as we shall see in a moment, what we find is the result of Jesus baptizing us with Holy Spirit, it results in fire, it results, results in power, it results in gifting, gift impartation. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 refers to conversion. By nature, every one of us, from Adam on, is dead in sin. We couldn't believe the gospel if a million angels preached it every day to us. We couldn't have believed because we're dead and dead people don't hear and dead people can't respond. Something has to happen before you and I can respond to the gospel. The Holy Spirit has to make us alive. Then we can believe. Then we can receive the gospel. And that's what we've got here. God must take the initiative just as he did with Abraham. And let me ask you this question. Was Abraham saved? Was Abraham a genuine believer in God? Well, you can bet your bottom dollar he was, because as the New Testament says, he is the father of all who believe, not, not the Gentile, not, not the Jews, of all. That's you and that's me. He is the father of all who believe. When, we, when we're converted, God's Holy Spirit, uh, as, as it were, plunges us into this new body, makes us alive and plunges us into this new body. But none of the people of God in the Old Testament were baptized in Holy Spirit. He came on them and then, as it were, withdrew from them. He came on them there, but he had not yet been given. But along with us, Abraham was their father in faith whose heirs we all are. Without that, we're not part of the body. We're still dead in our sin. But having joined us to the body, God's intention is that we live spirit-empowered and equipped lives, and that's the model we find in the New Testament. Not from occasional visitations, but a life going, ongoing, hopefully day by day, but most, most certainly oft-repeated, empowerment and endowment. So then back to my opening contention this morning. My friend, you can be a true believer, born again and even baptized as a disciple of Jesus and still not be baptized in Holy Spirit. So to the first question I ask, what does Jesus' baptism in Holy Spirit do. What is it for? How is it observed? It says, he shall baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. 
Fire is the operative word there. If somebody set your clothing alight this morning, you wouldn't have to go around and say, look, look, I'm on fire. <laughs> it was blatantly obvious. You're on fire. You, you, people would see it. As I said, the word is important. In water baptism, we get physically wet. The Spirit of God blesses us. Amen. But essentially, we get wet. As John said, I, I baptize you with water. That's as far as I can go, he says. But when the Spirit, in some way or another, sets us on fire, we're told in Scripture in Ephesians 1 and 13, we are marked with a seal. We are marked with a seal. We are equipped supernaturally and powerfully. And you may or may not have noticed that throughout, except when I've spoken of the Holy Spirit as a person, I have simply said Holy Spirit. I've dropped the definite article. I've done that intentionally because it's not there in the text. Translators have put it in, referring to God, referring to the third person of the Trinity. It must be the Holy Spirit. But again, if you look at the scriptures, go through, don't take my word for it. Get a good concordance. Get a good concordance that goes into some of the original language. And you'll find it in all of those occasions, the definite article is dropped because they're not talking about the person. They're talking about power. They're talking about Holy Spirit. To be endued with Holy Spirit, characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And this, this is consistent throughout the New Testament. I'll give you a few examples just to make my point and then apply this. In Acts 2 and 4, it says they were filled with Holy Spirit. And what happened? They began speaking in tongues, the Spirit giving them utterance. Something of the Holy Spirit was imparted to them. In Acts 4 and 31, they were all filled with Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Where did the boldness come? Their inner courage? No, the Holy Spirit gave them boldness. Acts, 50, Acts 8 and 15, they prayed that they might receive Holy Spirit because he had not yet come on them. That's exactly what it says. Then Peter and John laid hands on them and they received Holy Spirit, which we, if you read Acts 8, you will find Simon the magician saw it. He observed it. He said, I want that. Didn't get him very far. But he saw it. He saw something happen to them. In Acts 9 and verse 17, Ananias to Paul, Jesus, he says, has sent me to you, Paul, so that you may see again and be filled with Holy Spirit. And he was. And what happens, he says, straight after, immediately he began to preach. Immediately he went out and became more and more and more powerful, referring to something that's been imparted. In Acts 11, verse 15 and 16, Peter says, as I began to speak, Holy Spirit came on them. Isn't it God interrupting a brilliant sermon <laughs> in the middle of his sermon? A he said, Holy Spirit came on them just as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered, he says, what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be filled with Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit imparts Holy Spirit to us. 
The baptism of the Spirit speaks of impartation, of gifting, of equipping. Please don't take my word for it. You must always test and weigh, the script, weigh what a preacher says from the Scriptures. Go to the Scriptures for yourself. It speaks of power. So it says in chapter 1 and verse 8 of Acts, you shall receive power when Holy Spirit comes on you. He comes on us. He fills us with gifts and abilities and power that fits that is fit for the situation or the task in hand. I've often said to, to folk in churches where you see the Spirit moving on people, and, and, and I say to them, hey, God does not give you the gift of tongues when it's healing that's required, because tongues won't do a thing to somebody who needs healing. The, the gift of the Holy Spirit is always fitting to the circumstance we're in. And so when you look at the scripture, whether it was Stephen's filling with Holy Spirit that gave him the vision of the ascended Christ and courage to be stoned to death, or whether it was Paul to the Ephesians, no doubt thinking of the day of Pentecost, Paul says um, to, the, to those who are listening, is it to the disciples, he said, who were now filled with Holy Spirit, were drunk on wine, and he commands them, don't be drunk with wine, or go on being filled with the Spirit. In other words, he says, there's an identification between the two, but one comes from God and one comes from alcohol. Itch the alcohol and stick with God. That's what he's saying. And you too will begin to speak to yourselves and to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and have the ability and the authority to make people stand up and take note. That transforms church from sit and be fed or sit and be entertained or even sit and be pleased with what you hear and see and do into a place where all contribute even sometimes perhaps to the extent where the God-ordained leaders in the church have to sort out a mess because too many people want to speak out at the same time. But my friends, when was the last time you saw that? And I know that there are people not from Hope who are listening into here, from whatever church you're here. Have you seen that in your church? Oh, no, that wouldn't happen in our church. Why? Could it be that those in your church are not baptized with Holy Spirit? See, the baptism with Holy Spirit doesn't suddenly make us totally intelligent and rational and get everything lined up, all our ducks lined in a row. They get it wrong. We get it wrong. But here, my friends, listen to this. When Peter wrote to the churches in his two epistles, he wrote to the churches throughout the whole of what today is called Turkey and the Black Sea Rim. The whole of Turkey and the Black Sea Rim. And he can write to those churches, one letter to all of those churches, and he says, though you love and believe in him, you are being filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of God, full of majesty, full of power. He said that of all the churches there, can that be said of a single church in our nation at the time, at this time? So I ask 
you, dear friends, have you been or are you being filled with Holy Spirit? The Christian life is not merely an enhanced normal life. It's supernaturally governed. It's supernaturally enabled. It's a walk fed and equipped by a living spring, otherwise known as Holy Spirit, who imparts himself to us, gifting and enabling and directing him. Many folk who know me well will know that by nature, I am not a bubbly extrovert. I'm an introvert. I'm an internal processor. You know, I'm the sort of guy by nature that is so busy looking up the bus timetable to make sure he gets the right one and misses the bus that he was waiting for. Compared to my natural caution, a tortoise would look more like Mo Farah. But God broke into that. God made me something I am not by nature. God gave me stuff which does not come from me or my learning or my ability or my wisdom. God broke into that. He baptized me with Holy Spirit as a barely converted teenager. I was reading Acts 2 in my room on my own. So don't use COVID and being on your own and in isolation as an excuse for not responding to this. I was on my own. I had never read Acts before. A few months into being converted. And all I did was I turned to God and I said, Lord, oh, I so want that. And it happened. It happened. I saw a vision of God. I began speaking in another tongue. I began sang, singing out the, the, this song before God. And I got up and I rushed downstairs because uh, I was staying in, a, in like a hotel, a hostel, a Christian-run hotel. And I ran downstairs to the folk inside and I said, hey, guess what? I was praying. And, and I, I was really asked to there and I said, God, I want that. And God did it. I, it happened. And the response was, oh, Oh, you've got to be careful. That's, that's, that's emotionalism. Emotionalism on my foot. It wasn't emotionalism. But telling other Christians at the time was like letting off a bomb in the church because that sort of thing did not happen then. It might have happened with the weird and wonderful Pentecostals. It might have happened in the southern states of America or in some country in Africa, but oh, it doesn't happen here. But God did it to me. And what does the scripture say? If you ask for a serpent, if you, I'm sorry, if you, uh, uh, if, if, you, if you ask for something good, will God give you a serpent? If you ask for bread, will he give you a stone? Of course not. It, innocently, I said, please, God, I, I, I want this. And it happened. And then over the, the early year, well, not the early years, through even to today, God brought men into my life at key points who introduced me to the prophetic and, and who demonstrated the miraculous and filled me with a passion for both the word of God and the power of the Spirit. And to my dear Baptist friends who are listening to this, 
Two of the key men in that were lifelong, died-in-the-wall Baptists. Lovely guys. Lovely guys. Don Elliott was one of them, and Arthur Neal. You have to be at least 60 years of age to remember Arthur Neal. All right? But anyway, he was a great guy, great Bible teacher down in Devon, South Devon. God brought these people into my life and just transformed it. Oh, I'm not saying, come and look at me. I am the epitome of all that it should be. I'm, I'm not there yet myself. I'm just old. I'm not necessarily as wise as I should be. But he brought these men into my life and showed me the word of God. And now, though retired from many years of full-time ministry, even now I can't just sit back. I'm filled with a passion that God's people would know this and that the world would see it and take note that we've been with Jesus. I'll die happy because I'll die in Christ and I'll see him face to face. But my friends, I'll die even happier if I see revival come first. If I see the church come alive again, as, as it has done many times in the past. I can just see the church, this church, any church, every church, truly come alive in these things. Not in frenetic activity, nor even, not just in numbers or even biblical orthodoxy. And those who know me, <laughs> you've been your tabs back, you won't hear me say that very often. Not even in biblical orthodoxy, because you can have all of those things and still be effectively dead to the world and lacking spiritual authenticity. And my friends, because I know of my experience, in my experience of the baptism, I know that COVID will not restrict God. This can happen to you now, this morning. This can happen to you now and this evening and tomorrow morning and tomorrow lunchtime and, and so on. Because the, the, the Christian life, my friends, is, is meant to be a, a dynamic one of walking relationship with Jesus, total communion with God, giving worship to God, receiving authority and power from God. And I'll close on this. I was sharing with Luke before. I got up to speak this morning. I was listening to Terry Virgo on, on YouTube during the week. I listened in to some of his four-minute talks that he gives about twice a week, something like that. And he went to Judges 6, uh, which talks about Gideon. And I, I have to confess, I have preached... I have preached sermons and series on Gideon at least three or four times in my ministry time. And Terry said something and pointed to a word of scripture that I'd never seen before. I'd never seen before. I thought I knew the story inside out, back to front. And he pointed, he pointed uh, us uh, to Judges, Judges 6, read it for yourself. And it's before the battle that they're going to go in. And, and God comes to them and says, I am with you, Gideon. And Gideon's reply is, if God is with us, where are the miracles? Now, 
I'd want to duck at that point. I don't think I'd want to talk to God like that. If God is with us, where are the miracles? Read the chapter itself. Read Judges 6 until you see it. But God didn't rebuke him. He didn't tell him to shut up and say, you ungrateful child or something like that. Or, you, oh, you of little faith. He didn't. He persisted with him. I want to say today, if God is with us, where are the miracles? Where are the wonders? God gives the miracles, or rather, give us the miracles, Lord. Fill us with Holy Spirit power. Jesus said, if you being evil, give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word for ask there is the Greek word atio. And if you look at Luke 23, where they, people wanted Jesus to be crucified, it says they persistently demanded that Jesus be crucified. It's the same word, atio. Persistently demanded. So I want to say to you this morning, sue him for it, plead with him for it. Have the audacity to stand before God and say, if you're with us, Lord, where are the miracles? Where, where is the Holy Spirit filling? Sue him for it. And those who are listening in or from a good Salvation Army background, and there's at least one here this morning, great hymn from, from, from dear old... Uh, General Booth, one of the clarion cries of the Salvation Army in its early days. O God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Your blood-bought gift today we claim, send the fire today. Look down and see this waiting host and send the promised Holy Ghost. We need another Pentecost. Send the fire. Are you able to say that this morning? Oh, God grant that you are. And if you are, I believe God will come to you. Ask him, sue him, pursue him. Do a little ATOing. Persistently asking and saying, God, do what you promised. Go well in God. Be filled with Holy Spirit.